Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, open to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. And if you're new, um, we just finished our study through First and Second Samuel. It took us a year to go through those two books, and uh, that's what we typically do here. We go through books of the Bible, mar- march our way through it. But this morning, uh, we are starting a quick four-week series uh, on the church, uh, the church. And so you'll see, you'll see people, if you're new, you'll see people standing. It's because we stand when we read God's Word, and they know that. And so if you would stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, We're going to be in Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now you can be seated. If you... Ask people who know the Parks Church um, on the surface, maybe those in our uh, community or those around us, um, what's the Parks Church known by? What what are they they marked by? I think three things would surface, Um, and these are going to be three positive things, okay? Uh, The first... I believe it would surface about us as a local community would would be that we're, we're, we're serious about Jesus. We take Jesus very seriously. And because of that, we take, because he is the word of God, we take the scriptures very seriously as well. That we have a high value, a high love for uh, the word of God. But the third one I think you would hear is this, and maybe evidenced even by uh, what, what transpired just a little bit ago, is that the, the, the Parks Church takes seriously our call to be radically committed to the community that God has called us to be in. Like, that's, that's one of our values. That's one of the things that we, over the last 12 years of being a community of faith, have taken very seriously, is our call to be planted as a community of people in the city God's places, which is, which is McKinney. And so all the different spheres and all the different places God would lead us and call us and direct us to, we're going to be radically committed to being in those spaces. And it's that last one, and I don't say those to be braggadocious, I don't say those to, to, to pat ourselves on the back, I say those to highlight how the Lord has used this community over the last 12 years. But every once in a while, it's really wise as a community, as a faith family, to stop down and look at those things and also look at the things that maybe we're missing on. And it might even be contained in those three of of why do we do those things? Why are we involved so heavily in the the city that, that God has placed us in? And so for this series on the church, I want to focus on the sent nature of God's people. The sent nature of God's people. Now, if you look at, at Romans 10, a fascinating uh, section of scripture that starts out with, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? Which we're like, amen and praise God, right? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, 
Prior to that, in the chapter, if you read it, it's talking about how there is no distinct, God makes no distinct distinction in who he saves, whether male or female, Jew or Greek, right? No, no socioeconomic distinction, nothing like that. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the one true Savior, will be saved. And then what follows in Romans chapter 10 is for hows. How, verse 14, then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are, how are they to preach unless they are, this is verse 15, sent? Now, let me make a distinction. Romans 10 is not ta- Romans 10 is not talking about a works-based salvation. Romans 10 is saying that we are saved by faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And faith, Romans 10 tells us, comes by what? Hearing the word of Christ. And so make no mistake about, mistake about it that Jesus Christ alone saves. He's the one who redeems. However, when we have been redeemed, here is the nature of our God with his people. He sends them out. That when we receive the grace of Jesus Christ, when we believe and trust fully in Christ, it's not that we get into a holy huddle known as the church. It's that we are the church, the gathering of the redeemed, the fellowship of the redeemed, sent with a purpose. Jesus uh, doubles down on this in the Gospels in places like John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, as the Father has sent me, so you not even see this as just an impulse of Jesus, but this is the impulse of God the Father. Just as the Father has sent me, Jesus says to his disciples, I am also sending you. So a nature, an ethic of a disciple of Jesus would be that we understand that we're a sent people. The great uh, commission, right, found in Matthew 28, verse 19. What's the very first word of that verse? Go, right? Go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, even in the book of Acts, right, before the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, Jesus is speaking in Acts chapter 1. What does he say to his people, to his disciples? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, For when you receive the Holy Spirit, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, my sent people, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this sent ethic, this nature of the church being sent is without a doubt as we look at the scriptures. And we as the church, we as the redeemed people of God, we are the people who, verse 15, say, we are the ones who have the beautiful feet that bring not just generic news, but what does verse 15 say? The good news. And so let me make no mistake that the message of the church that we are sent with a unified message, and that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in Romans 10, verse 15, that is actually quoting the Old Testament. That's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, that the people of God, the Israelites, are in captivity with the Babylonians, and talking prophetically about the future and the day that they would be released or saved, or that they would be uh, yeah, freed from the Babylonian oppressor, right? And it says, how beautiful will the, the feet be of those who bring the good news that you're free, you're delivered, there's salvation. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? What is, what is the good news? Salvation, freedom, deliverance, found in Who? Jesus Christ. 
So the message of the church is the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation has come. Redemption has come. Freedom has come, and it's come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the church that we are sent with. Now, my fear is that there are counterfeit messages that try to creep into the church, into our lives individually and into our lives corporately. Now, I think what's helpful is calling some of these counterfeit messages out, right? The counter to the good news. They, they, they prop themselves up as pseudo good news or fake good news. And maybe one that's crept in is this idea of the good news being moralism, right? Is the good news from the church that we're sent out with really tell people how they can fix their behavior, right? Is, is it one of behavior modification, Fix yourself and then, and then draw near. That's not the gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, his grace and mercy meets us where? Right where we are. The collision course of salvation where justification happens is right where God has you in that moment. But for many, the message or the good news that we come carrying sometimes is like, hey, clean yourself up a little better and then God will receive you. That is a counterfeit. That is a pseudo uh, news. That's, not, that's actually not good news because you could never clean yourself up enough to stack before God, could you? And, and I said this in the first service that actually behavior modification is actually really easy compared to what the gospel asks of us. Right? Behavior modification. And you're like, hey, I'm a parent. I'll, I'll challenge you on that one, right? A little bit, right? No, what the scriptures call us to is a much deeper work. Actually, an impossible work in of ourselves, and that's character formation. It's not calling us to behavior modification. It's ca causing us for, to character formation. And from that character formation, our lives will bear fruit. And the ways in which we live and interact will change, but it's getting at something deeper, our heart. Or, or how about a counterfeit message of self-help? You can solve your problems. You, you, you can fix. The solution is in you. That is not the message of the church. That's not the message of the sent ones. Or how about the message of emotionalism, right? Cheap inspiration, right? We gather together. Maybe the church, you look at a gathering and you go, it's, it's about being inspired and it's about feeling really good as we go. But what happens? Life hits. The storms of this life crash against us. And if we are not rooted and anchored in the word of God, in the true good news of Jesus Christ, listen, that cheap and fleeting inspiration, it will be like sand in your hands and just... You, you won't have anything for it. Or how about uh, easy believism, or what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? Well, it says here, Kyle, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is just say it, speak it, proclaim it. There you go. You're saved. Bada boom, bada bing. However you want to live, go on. No, that is, that is not grace. That is not what the scriptures teach us. Scriptures teach us that grace will transform us, that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and there will be fruit produced. While these messages may gather a crowd, they may get a lot of likes and applause on social media, they will not build the true church. They are not the message, the good news that Paul is talking about in Romans 10, the good news that we are commissioned and sent with into the watching world. And I think it's being exposed for what it is in the church in a large context. There was an article recently, some studies done and released over the last couple of years um, that in the last 25 years, 40 million people have left the church. 
Now, listen, I'm not equating church attendance to salvation, but hear me, just the information on the surface. 40 million people, that's 12% of our population, something like that, right? Have left the church. Now, we could spend our time maybe pontificating on whether it's a good thing or bad thing in this decline, but I think the reason why we have seen this in the church, this decline in church attendance, is very clear. That the church, by and large, has become mired in restlessness, in impatience, in selfishness. Restlessness, impatience, and selfishness. Do you want to know what those define to me? A two-year-old. Fair? If you have a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Impatient. Mine. Maybe the indictment against the church that this exodus is, 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 is leveling or making clear to us is that the church is actually in its adolescence stage. And so what turns out when you find yourself mired in restlessness and impatience and selfishness is that the gatherings are largely superficial. They're largely designed to entertain. And some maybe are just designed to inform rather than creating a deep work of the Holy Spirit, a deep work of a people gathering together to hear from God himself through his word. You see, God's plan is not for the impatient, is not for the, the selfish, it's not for the restless, it's not for shadow, shallow adolescence, it's for slow, faithful, steady, thoughtful, working through and steady growth in the knowledge and grace of Christ Jesus that we find in faithful community through the word of God. Listen, let me tell you, that in some way has lost its luster, right? So I... I every time I tell people, hey, we're preaching the first and second Samuel, they're like, oh, what is that, about a 12-week series? I'm like give or take 50 weeks, you know? <laughs> and listen, I don't say that braggadociously. I say that because it's so foreign, it's so different. But what those kinds of things do is they build in a body an endurance to hear and sit before the word of God, to sit in the word of God, to, to, to marinate on things that are very complex and very difficult. I, I love talking to some of you that in 2 Samuel, like 2 Samuel was a book and, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I look at it sometimes and I'm like, these are like stories you want to forget in life, you know? Where you're walking through these stories and you're just like, oh, but the Lord uses it in a purposeful way to form and shape us deeply so that we know who God is. So that in our going, we go representing the God who has expressed himself through his word faithfully. But let me tell you, that is not a fast, microwavable thing. It takes time together. But I feel this growing weariness. I don't know if you do either. A weariness around this performance-based, extreme, radical gatherings and calling us back to the good news from Romans 10 that we're sent with. The message received by faith by us as a community. A message of the gospel entrusted to us and that needs to go from us. It must go from us. Um, Jake Metter in The Atlantic this past week wrote an article. I thought it was a great article on the church. Um, and one of the, the segments in it that I wanted to pull out, I want to share with you because I think the last line hits this right on the head for us. Um, it says, The tragedy of the American churches is that they have been so caught up in this same world that we now find they have nothing to offer these suffering people that can't be more easily found somewhere else. 
American churches have too often been content to function as a kind of vaguely spiritual NGO, an organization of detached individuals who meet together for religious services that inspire them, provide practical life advice, or offer positive emotional experiences. Too often, it has not been a community that, that through its preaching and living, bears witness to another way to live. That's what I'm praying for this church. For the church I'm part, for the church we are a part, for this community that we show by the preaching, by the proclamation from our lips. It's not just talking about pulpit preaching, okay? But also from the living of our lives. So our lips and our lives. That there is a better way. There's another way. There's the true way of Jesus. There's actually good news out there for the broken. There's good news out there for the hurting. There's actually healing. There's actual freedom. But it's found in Jesus Christ. However, I'm convinced this doesn't come by asking less of us or less of the church, but instead asking actually more. Asking more. More of us together. Unless some of you are like, this is my first time. Uh, you, just, you just rolled up to a family meeting, okay? Um, but I think it's actually really helpful for you. Because this is, this is what we want to endeavor and ask of the Lord to do and create in us, right? As we, as we, as we enter this new, new, new season and this new ministry year, whatever that means, that the Lord would help us live as a sent people, full of his Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel, the good news. Now, the question I want to ask and answer in the next seven minutes is this. Where does that begin where does Romans 10 begin? And what I want to suggest to you that where I want to begin is that sending isn't to those who don't know first. That sending, God's people, God's church living as sent ones, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, actually begins with you and I. It begins with one another. You see, the gospel is not something we graduate from when we put, just put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but the gospel is something we must continually and ever keep before us and our lives. And one of the primary places that the scriptures tell us that we are sent as the people of God is to the other people of God. Jesus puts it like this in, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, the new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus goes, I'm the picture of what love looks like. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he's looking at his disciples. Think about this. He's looking at his disciples. He's looking at the guys who have followed him, who have given everything for him. He goes, this is how people are gonna know that you're mine, that you're my disciples. It's how you treat, how you love one another. So the first place his disciples are sent, if you will, is to one another, to love, to serve. Listen, there are 50 plus one another's in the pages of our scriptures to encourage one another, to edify one another. All of these one another's are talking about other brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus goes, the mark on your life, how people will identify that you're my disciple, is by your treatment and love for each other. And listen, church, we do a lot of things really well here at the parks. This is not one, I've got to be honest with you, that we necessarily hit a home run on. That there has to be a better commitment of loving other brothers and sisters in Christ within our local context, within our local faith family. Okay, you say, how do I, how do, I do this? Well, 
Um, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, Paul says this. Um, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is not our natural inclination or instinct apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when the gospel comes into our lives, it radically reorients our, uh, our, our orientation from self to other. Because our lives are oriented around Christ, we no longer seek self-preservation. We seek to love and serve who? Others. Beginning with one another, those closest to us, other brothers and sisters in Christ that we are in community with. Stanley Hauerwas, uh, the theologian and author, he says this. He says, as followers of Jesus, we've got good work to do that is so much more important than ourselves. Think about that. As Christians, as God's people, as God's sent ones, we have so much good work to do that is so much bigger and better than ourselves. And the first place that God is sending us is to love one another, to recognize the necessity of one another, to recognize the necessity of the local church or this faith family, of community, right? The smaller uh, informal or formal gatherings, that that's not just a church growth strategy. That's not just a, a nice plan, but that is absolutely hardwired into every one of us to be in deep loving, sacrificial relationships, undeniable love, right, with one another, that when we actually find ourselves in that kind of community and relationship, there are things that will begin to happen in our church that will defy explanation. I'm just telling you, when we find ourselves expressing undeniably the love of God to one another, but also when, when it is absent from us, there will be things absent that defy our explanation. This is necessary for us as a community, as the sent ones, and so what this requires is that we must be consistently and sacrificially present. Two words there. Sacrificial and consistent. Present. With one another. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. You cannot love someone that you're not before in actual practice and demonstration. Now you can say you love them, you, you, you can use the words, and I, you can even maybe believe it. But what this looks like played out in a local faith family is that you and I are consistently shoulder to shoulder with the sacrificial love we have experienced in Jesus Christ that we are then leveling or giving to one another. Yes. Consistency is a struggle for us as a park church. It is. They're just calling these things what they are. Like, they, 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 it is, right? We're busy to the brim, and hear me, this, this, this sermon is not meant to be a, you know, like a drive-by guilting, just to be like, come on, do better, right? It's not to, meant to add one more thing to your schedule. Well, I just need to become more consistent here. This is you literally looking at your whole schedule, your whole life. You as a married couple, you as a single person, doesn't matter who, where, where you find yourself, and going, is my whole life, is my whole schedule oriented around the person and work of Jesus Christ and that he has sent me and placed me within a local faith family to demonstrate sac sacrificial love to one another? Does your schedule communicate that? I'd wonder if somebody from the outside looked at your schedule, if they would look like, man, they, they are radically oriented around others, right? They might go around their kids, but what about the faith family? You know, and listen, there are formal ways and informal ways that this works itself out. This is a formal way. The gathering of the saints, 
Hebrews tells us, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints, right? Now, Kyle, is, it, is that talking about a Sunday morning? Well, probably not, but it's not talking about any less of a gathering than what takes place here. That we come together and that we wouldn't neglect this moment of sitting under the word of God, hearing a unified teaching so that we can go as a unified body of Christ, loving and serving King Jesus together, sacrificially and consistently present. Some of you have no margin in your life to be present for the other people of God. None, zero, and that is an issue. You look even in the Old Testament, how, uh, how they, were, they were told to uh, farm. You ever seen this where they were told to farm, but they would to leave the outer edges, the margins, so that others could pick from it and have food and produce, right? Some of you live your life all the way to the edges with no, no room for margin, no, no room for the Holy Spirit to speak, no room for other people to, to be served or loved by you, for you to receive love from other people. Some of you, you let me be honest with you, you got a lot of margin. Somebody's like, I want to meet that person, right? No, some of you do. You just don't recognize it. Because some of you actually have a lot of margin. It's what you begin to fill that margin with. Some of you fill a margin with something like a six-inch screen all the time. If you really look at your life, that six-inch screen is absorbing your time in such a way that God's like, no, listen, I've sent you to love and to serve those around you faithfully and sacrificially and, and consistently. Uh, I keep this picture uh, in my office, and some of you have this picture because we give it to some of our leaders and staff, as a picture of the body of Christ and the mutual love and sharing in with one another that we have. How many of you have ever been that candle in the middle where it's just like your affections are no more, like you, life is tough, it's, it's difficult, and the body of Christ has come around you and loved you and served you, right? And all these, these hundred different flames to stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit, to encourage you, right? How many of you ever, have ever been there, have experienced that in the body of Christ, right? And some of you, you, you find yourselves out here by the grace of God needing to serve. You need to serve those who are just weary and worn out, right? To fan the flame of affection toward Jesus. However, how we show up is also important. Not that we just do show up sacrificially and consistently, but we show up with the right posture. And that's the posture of the good news that we bring. It's a, it's a gospel posture. It's a Philippians 2 kind of posture where we show up in community with one another with an encouraging heart, with a humility, with a grace and truth. We don't roll up into places and spaces, both informal and formal, going, how can I be fed? What can I get out of this? What edifies me most is dot, 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 dot. But we come in with a posture going, listen, the grace I have received, I want to give. The love I have received compels me to love and to serve and walk alongside you. And God has gifted us by bringing us into a relationship called the local church. Now here, um, here's what I want to do. Um, I love that the Lord, in just kind of our regular rhythm of life, allows for us to have these moments of what I call reorientation. So you're like, okay, like I get it, right? Consistently, sacrificially, with a gospel posture, I, I need to live less self-centered and more other-centered. Like, but what does that look like for you? That the Lord provides these moments of reorientation, and I don't mean just like, hey, create a priority list. Orienting your life around Jesus and having a priority list are two different things, okay? Because what happens with a priority list is you go, I know who's at the top, Jesus, right? And then it's like you just make this priority list, and what happens in that is you just begin to check the boxes, 
okay? And move on to the next. With orientation, it's something totally different. It's going, Jesus, you are the sole focus of my life, and everything in, 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 in my schedule, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my life is oriented. My vocation is oriented around you. Who do you say that I am? What have you called me to? Who are you sending me to? Well, God has placed you in a local church. He has placed you in a faith family to love and serve and be loved and serve back into. And so this might look like you being more consistent in gatherings like this. It may look like you actually joining and participating in our praxis groups. It may look like you serving in our five, six ministry or kids or serving in the schools or the outside ministries of the church. I don't know what it looks like, but it looks like you and I radically and undeniably loving the people God has entrusted and placed before us. That's what he's calling us to, church. That's where he's sending us. And listen, we're going to talk about uh, Romans 10 and what it means for those who don't know Jesus. But if we don't get this one right first, listen, the witness, the, what the watching world will see, will not be compelling. Oh, we may have a good story, we may have an eloquence, but the real tangible love of Christ, if it is not first demonstrated by the body of Christ one to another, the watching world will want nothing with it. And so let's start here by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. All right, you have uh, the elements of communion. I want you to stand with me with those elements. And Tess, can I have that? Thanks. Now, as a church, every week we gather. We gather not just around the singing not just around the prayer, not just around fellowship, but we gather around the table, the communion table, community, communion, a fellowship of the redeemed around the table, proclaiming Jesus' life and death. And let me tell you, this is, this is a family meal. And what I mean by that is this is a meal for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. For some of you, the gospel is permeating your ears this morning and you'll take communion for the first time because you'll believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Others of you, maybe you're not quite there yet. And what we'd say is that you would just abstain from, from taking this with us, but know that the invitation for you to trust in Jesus is here. The, ta the, the chair has been pulled out for you to sit at this table alongside of us. But we do this as a family who has received who has received the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures tell us on the night Jesus was betrayed after giving thanks, he took bread and broke it. And he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Let's take. And in the same manner and fashion, Jesus took the cup and he said that this cup represents his blood, which is the new covenant, meaning how we are saved. We are now saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice is our payment for our sin. This is the good news. It's not our works. It's in Jesus. So let's take the cup together. In church, the only fitting response after taking communion is what? Worship. Okay, so pause. Pause real quick. This week, for many of our faith family, starts, starts school. So, hey, can you be seated just for a second?
This starts school. For our kids, for our faculty members, for our parents who are homeschool parents and educators, um, we want to love one another well by praying for you. And so if you are a student, I don't care if it's elementary, middle school, high school, college, stand up. Stand up, stand up. Now here's who I want you to stand up. If you are an educator of any form, you work in the school district, you're a teacher, you're a counselor, you're, you're in administration, you're in finance for MIS, it doesn't matter. I want you to stand up. If you're a homeschool parent who, who schools your children at home, I want you to stand up. Look around, faith family, for the rest of us that are seated. I'm seated. Right? It's a big population in our church, right? Who are wait, many of them waiting into this, the school district. School starts uh, for McKinney ISD on Wednesday, right? They're waiting in. I want us to pray some massive prayers for this school year, church. I believe the Lord wants to do something in and through our school district, in and through our teachers and our students. You're going to storm your school for the King Jesus, right? You're going to, you're, you're going to go into those, pay, those soccer fields, those, those locker rooms, and Jesus is going to be known. But the best way we as a faith family can love you is by calling on the God of the universe to go before you. Amen? And so let's do that by faith. Church, right? You can see who's standing around. Some of you know by name. Call them out by name, right? I'm not going to make you lay hands on each other quite yet. I'll do that eventually. We'll get there. All right? But let's pray. Let's storm heaven right now. Father, I pray for um, these students who are standing right now. Lord, I pray that, um, Father, that the gospel, that would, it would just radiate from their lives and from their lips as they walk into the school uh, this year. Lord, I pray that you would cover them. I pray that they would just be mighty uh, warriors for Jesus Christ in the places you have placed them, in the desks you have purposely seated them in, the classes and the teachers that they have. Lord, I pray that from these students, Lord, there would just be a revival that comes. Start with them. Start with us, the kids of the Parks Church, that glory may just ra- your glory may radiate from them. And Lord, I pray for the teachers that are standing and the faculty members and the administrators. Lord, that during this school year, this would be the best school year of their lives, Lord God. Lord, there are so many unknowns uh, ahead of them this school year, and I pray that you would go before them in power. You would make the way clear. You would give them wisdom where they lack wisdom, Lord God. You would give them boldness and courage to lead as you have called them to lead. Lord, we are a sent people. Lord God, and you have placed us, you're sending us out even this week specifically into the school districts and into the schools, Lord God, into the educational spheres for your glory, Lord God. That, that's your ground, Lord God. So use us however you want. Use these people who are standing however you see fit. May they be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. May you keep them and hold them and cause your face to shine upon them this school year for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen.